Hello and welcome to this week's podcast version of Scripps 5 Must Know Things. This time for the Business Week ended 5th August 2022. This is Ian Haydock. This time, planned US drug pricing legislation in focus, a solid quarter but no CGN announcement for Merck and Co. Abvi's Gonzalez sounds alarm over US pricing legislation plans, Al Nilam ready to expand in amyloidosis, and Boehringer Ingelheim on global Jardiant's strategy. The farm industry's attention is focused on Capitol Hill as momentum appears to be building for potential US drug pricing legislation that would allow the US government to negotiate prices for the drugs it spends the most on under Medicare Part D beginning in 2026 and Medicare Part B in 2028. Jessica Merrill writes that much remains uncertain about how the legislation will progress in the coming weeks. But the industry is revving up its lobbying efforts in opposition to policies that could curtail the long-term revenue potential of cornerstone franchises. CEOs from the top pharma firms pushed back against the proposals in recent second quarter sales and earnings calls, and pharma-sponsored forums have been held to highlight what the industry says will be dire and anticipated consequences of the legislation. At the same time, industry leaders acknowledge they are prepared to navigate the new headwinds if the legislation is passed and signed into law. After two decades of successfully beating back substantial drug pricing legislation, it does appear industry now could be on the brink of entering a new era of government pricing negotiations in the US. The pricing legislation's chances for advancing have shifted in recent months, as Senator Joe Manchin negotiated with Senate leadership over his support for the climate and tax reform elements in the budget reconciliation vehicle that also includes the drug pricing provisions. After a Senate floor vote on the bill, the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, the legislation will then move to the House with the goal of getting to the President's desk for signing as a legislative win for Democrats ahead of the midterm elections in November. While there are plenty of drawbacks in the legislation for pharma to consider, it also includes a redesign of the Medicare Part D benefit, including a cap on out-of-pocket spending, which has been a policy priority for the industry. Another positive outcome may be clarity on a long-standing overhang for the industry and the possibility that drug pricing reform would be off the table for a while. But pharma manufacturers continue to lobby Congress about the bill. One key provision that they are targeting is that small molecule drugs without generic competition could be subject to Medicare price negotiations nine years after approval, while biologics without competition could be subject to negotiations after 13 years. Industry advocates say the legislation would unfairly reduce the timelines to recoup R&D investment, particularly for small molecules, and would disincentivise investment in early pharma R&D. The number of negotiated drugs would be limited to 10 Part D drugs in 2026 and 15 in 2027, followed by a total of 15 each Part B and Part D products in 2028 and 20 Part B and Part D drugs in 2029 and later years. The Congressional Budget Office estimates that Medicare could save $101.8 billion from the drug pricing negotiations.
Echoing concerns voiced by other biopharma CEOs about the potential impact of the planned legislation being discussed in the U.S. Senate, AbbVie CEO Rick Gonzalez used the firm's second quarter sales and earnings call on 29th July to say that a proposal to let the U.S. government negotiate drug prices for Medicare represents not negotiation but price controls. Joseph Haas writes that Gonzalez did not volunteer the topic on the AbbVie call. But when an analyst asked his thoughts during the Q&A portion, he clearly was prepared with a wide-ranging take. The exec said he favours the proposal of a $2,000 cap on out-of-pocket prescription drug costs for patients, but added that overall this is a bill that has far more negatives than it has positives in it. On the subject of Centres for Medicare and Medicaid Services potentially negotiating prices for small molecule drugs, once they have been on the market for nine years, Gonzalez was more blunt. It's not a negotiation, he asserted. We should just call it what it is. It's price controls they're basically putting in place if the language stays the same. The early focus of Abby's call was on commercial matters. As the farmer noted, the continuing growth of Skyreasy, which should be bolstered by its 20th June US FDA approval for Crohn's disease. However, Gonzalez and his team also spent a good portion of the call explaining continuing sales decreases for Imbruvica and trying to assuage investors about the impact of top seller Humira losing US patent protection in 2023. On the drug pricing proposal in the Senate, Gonzalez warned that under current wording, the negotiation provision would affect a big set of drugs and basically give CMS full latitude to set prices for drugs under Medicare. Since the Medicare Part D drug benefit was enacted back in 2004, the pharma industry has warned that enabling CMS to set prices for Medicare would essentially be the same as setting drug prices for the entire US market. AbbVie posted global net revenues of more than $7.2 billion on the quarter, an 18% increase after foreign exchange rates were factored in. Set to face by a similar competition in the US next year, Humira brought in $5.63 billion worldwide, with US sales of $4.66 billion up 10%, while ex-US sales declined 14% to $699 million. Already facing biosimilar competition in Europe and elsewhere, AbbVie's strategy for Humira revenue erosion has been a consistent investor focus since the company's inception in 2013. AbbVie continues to guide to a 45% sales erosion for the anti-TNF drug next year in the US, plus or minus 10%. Expectations were high that Merck Co. would confirm recent rumours and announce alongside its second quarter earnings report on 28 July that it's purchasing CGen. Hopes were dashed, however, when no acquisition was revealed knocking the share price despite a strong quarter. And did Axon rise? The Merck reported $14.6 billion in second quarter sales, up 28% from the same period in 2021, and beating analyst consensus of $13.9 billion for the quarter. Sales were 18% higher when excluding $1.2 billion from COVID-19 antiviral Legevrio. Sales of Keytruda, the top-selling PD-1 inhibitor on the market, rose 26% year-over-year to $5.3 billion, and as the company's biggest blockbuster by a wide margin, it demonstrated Merck's need to diversify, either from internal or acquired assets.
With Merck and antibody drug conjugate pioneer Cedian both reporting second quarter earnings on 28th July, there was speculation that they would simultaneously announce a deal so that they could discuss the transaction with deal-hungry investors and analysts during their Q2 calls. In the end, however, the closest that Merck came to discussing a potential CGEN deal was when Guggenheim Securities Analyst Seamus Fernandez asked during the earnings call whether any pending acquisitions would be all cash or involve a combination of cash and equity. President and CEO Robert Davis noted that, broadly, we have the capital and the balance sheet strength to go after anything that we feel is strategically important. How you do that between cash, debt and equity is really deal-specific. Merck is bringing Keytruda as a dominant PD-1 inhibitor into earlier lines of treatment, including the adjuvant and neoadjuvant settings, which contributed to the product's Q2 sales growth. Chief Financial Officer Caroline Litchfield noted during the call, We are seeing strong utilisations and are confident in its continued success as physician and patient experience grows, particularly in neoadjuvant, high-risk, early-stage, triple-negative breast cancer. Beyond Keytruda and Merck's oncology portfolio, the company's vaccine business also was an important contributor to second-quarter growth, including the anti-HPV product Gardasil, for which sales shot up 36% to $1.7 billion. Sale of its ProQuad, MMR2 and Verivax vaccines also jumped 12%. Alnylam Pharmaceuticals has the data it needs to file for supplemental approval in the US in late 2022 for Onpatro in the treatment of transthyretin-mediated amyloidosis patients with cardiomyopathy now that the Phase 3 Apollo B clinical trial has met its primary and key secondary endpoints. The data, disclosed on 3rd August, also support the company's plan to extend its transthyretine silencing RNA therapeutic franchise into a bigger ATTR amyloidosis population. Andy Daxon writes that Onpatro was approved to treat ATTR amyloidosis polyneuropathy in 2018 and Amvutra, a subcutaneously administered follow-on to Alnilam's original IV drug, was approved this year in the ATTR polyneuropathy indication. The positive phase 3 readout for Onpatro in ATTR amyloidosis cardiomyopathy was viewed as a good indicator that the phase 3 Helios B trial for Amvutra in ATTR-CM also will be a success, giving the company even greater revenue potential. Along with the recent FDA approval and the US launch of Amvutra for patients with ATTR amyloidosis with polyneuropathy, these Apollo B results provide further support for the expansion of Alnilam's TTR franchise into what we believe could represent a multi-billion dollar opportunity for Alnilam over time, CEO Yvonne Greenstreet said during a same-day call to review the Phase 3 results. Alnilam recently reported $153 million in second quarter 2022 on Patro revenue, up 12% from the same period last year, after the drug delivered $475 million in full-year 2021 sales. This was a 55% increase from 2020. Reina Denoncourt, who is vice president of Alnilam's TTR franchise, 
said in an interview with Scrip that the company had many reasons to believe the Phase 3 trial for Onpatro in ATTRCM would be positive based on prior al Nilam and investigator-sponsored studies. But with the Apollo B result, we really feel that it was this unambiguous validation of TTR silencing with an RNA therapeutic that that mechanism can really provide benefit for the ATTR amyloidosis patients with cardiomyopathy, she said. Finally, Boehringer Ingelheim is evaluating ways to radically advance as a data and insights-driven company and big data across the private German group's operations, including the R&D and commercial engines, are business-critical, a senior executive has emphasised. In an interview with Scrip, BI's corporate senior vice president and head of global regions, Timo Rusku-Anderson, said he expects to base the company's go-to-market models not on mere experience and assumptions, but on data and insights driven by patients, healthcare professionals and the health system. With farmers' GTM strategies still evolving, Anderson said the biggest trend he sees is that no one size fits all. While BI may consider digital only for a number of future launches in several markets, the executive emphasised that the company is committed to a go-to-market approach that understands every innovative product maps how that fits into clinical practice, tracks what the governments and key stakeholders in the healthcare ecosystem say, and listens to what patients need. The company's investments in an end-to-end data ecosystem reflect the group's commitment to leverage data insights for business excellence and patient benefit, he added. Some of BI's super-targeted oncology and inflammation innovations that require engagement with a small number of specialists and super-specialists from a clinical trial and patient perspective could potentially emerge as digital-only launches. But the indications are that the approach could be sharply different for the Eli Lilly-partnered blockbuster, Jardiance. Anderson indicated that if BI gets the data that it hopes on the treatment of chronic kidney disease for Jardiance at the end of this year, the German firm could embark on a distinct journey, one he termed as a bit daunting. The wider go-to-market efforts necessary given the high unmet need could require a few thousands of people across the world, employees and partners to work with physicians, caregivers, nurses, delivery organisations and experts to generate real-world data and enable linkages with diagnosis and prognosis for longer-term therapy. If our data show what we hope to see, We also have an obligation to go wide, broad, fast and strong, Anderson declared. There have been significant label expansions for Jardiance in the last year, making the SGLT2 inhibitor the first drug in the class to be approved for heart failure with both reduced and preserved ejection fraction. An approval for CKD would add a whole new dimension to boost Jardiance's status as the best-selling SGLT2 inhibitor. Check out the wide-ranging interview with Andrew Gangerdi for Anderson's views on a wide range of topics, including digital therapeutics, looking across borders for R&D, and intellectual property rights issues in India. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. All these articles in full are linked in the article accompanying this podcast and represent just a fraction of those published in script last week. Log in to access all of our content or register for a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.